Bible scripture reading for today is in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribu tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are all be being killed all day, all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are no, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in the creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Please be seated. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors. Well, good morning, church. Today's message is for anyone who is currently experiencing a trial or suffering in some way or dealing with the unrighteous, evil, ungodly, and deceptive ways of the world. If this applies to you, please just remain seated and hang on. If this, if this does not apply to you, then I would ask you to proceed to the preschool class where today's lesson is online. <laughs> Let me begin with the Apostle Paul's encouraging words from 2 Timothy 3, 1-5. He says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people as these, which is easier said than done, right? Well, later on in that same chapter, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul gives us some good advice on how to overcome difficulties and difficult people. So he says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's inspired by God. It comes directly from God, all Scripture. And it's profitable, profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In other words, the Word of God equips us to overcome these difficulties. It seems like the Lord's given us this great weapon against the evil forces of the world, and it is His Word. Just like Jesus, when He was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, tempted three different ways, and every time Jesus responded by saying, It is written. He used the Word of God as an offensive weapon against the temptations of Satan. 
Well, today we're going to look at seven short books of the New Testament that will give us insight into the enemies that we face and how to conquer and overcome them. These letters include James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and Jude. So let's pray and we'll dive in. Father, thank you for this glorious day, the day to be in your presence, a day to worship you with our heart and soul, a day to worship you in spirit and in truth. Oh, Father, forgive us for our indifference this week toward you. Forgive us for lack of time in your word and prayer and for serving people. Thank you, Lord, for those times that you stirred us to draw near to you and to be able to draw near to others and to bring the hope of Christ and the word of God into the lives of other people. We're grateful for those gifts that you've given us, Father, for just the common graces that we've experienced this week. We pray, Father, that you'll give us ears to hear today, to hear your word, to know how to overcome trials and testings and temptations, difficulties, the evil of this world, and how to overcome even our own flesh, that you want us to be more than conquerors through him who loved us. Lord, show us in your word how to do that. Build up the body of Christ this day. Help us to be sanctified vessels, useful to the master. I ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to begin our study of these seven short books. And by the way, Kevin, I noted uh, last week, and by the way, thank you for that message, but I did note how you compared that it took both pastors to be able to preach on four verses on Father's Day, and you by yourself were having to cover, cover several verses. Well, I just want to show you how a more seasoned preacher handles seven whole books of the Bible on one day, okay? Forgive me, Lord, for that. All right. So let me, let me just tell you a little bit about the four men that wrote these seven books. First of all, James. Uh, most scholars agree that James was the half-brother of Jesus and probably the second oldest in his family. Uh, so we're not talking about the apostle James. He was killed by King Herod in Acts chapter 12. Listen to this verse in Matthew 13, 55. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, other, in other words, Jude, and are not all his sisters with us. So it seems like that Jesus had at least six siblings, four brothers and at least sisters was plural, so at least two sisters. Of course, Jesus being the firstborn, and then James was probably the secondborn since they normally listed um, the uh, names of children in the order they were born. And so we'll just assume that that was the case. So half-brother of Jesus. Uh, he and his brothers did not believe uh, that Jesus was the Messiah until after the resurrection. Uh, listen to John 7, 3 to 5. So his brothers said to him, these are the brothers of Jesus, including James, said to Jesus, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one, for no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. And then they say, if you do these things, so in other words, doubting at the time. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. And then listen to these verses from the resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. 
For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, which means they have died. Then he appeared to James, talking about Jesus' half-brother James, then to all the apostles. So it took the appearance of Christ in his resurrected state before James and his brothers actually believed that he was the, the promised Messiah. Uh, tradition tells us that James was one of the key leaders of the church in Jerusalem, as we see in the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. And Flavius Josephus, and by the way, don't you just love that name? I mean, that just sort of rolls off the tongue. Flavius Josephus. Flavius Josephus. He was a first century historian, and he wrote that James was martyred in 62, around 62 AD. So that's James. Now let's go to Peter, all right? Peter was the leader of the 12 disciples, and you know he shows up a number of times when one of them has to kind of step up and say something. It's normally Peter. Plus, in all the lists of the disciples in the, in the New Testament, Peter's always named first. So he's probably the key leader of the 12 disciples. Uh, his brother Andrew actually brought Peter to Jesus. Uh, we see in John 141, where Andrew says to, to Peter, we found the Messiah. So Andrew was following John the Baptist, and then John the Baptist in John 1 says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Andrew, and, and when John said, you know, I must, he must increase, I must decrease. So Andrew started following Jesus, and as soon as he was convinced that Jesus was the Messiah, he went to Peter and brought Peter uh, to Jesus. Uh, they were both fishing partners with James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Uh, Mark 1, 16 and 17 says, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, Peter was never shy about saying something or doing something without thinking. Now, if you're sitting by someone who happens to maybe be in that category, and I realize some of you are isolated, so you can't elbow anybody, but if you're sitting by someone who sometimes does things or says things without thinking, just give them a little tap with your elbow right now. Wow, extraordinary congregation. Good job, Pastor Grant. I did not see many, well, I saw people thinking, I wish somebody was sitting here that I could elbow them, but anyway. Well, uh, he responded in the flesh most of the time. He even denied Christ three times before Christ was crucified. However, he did declare that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And after the resurrection, Peter really stepped up to the plate. We see that on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, where he stood up and proclaimed the message of Christ. And throughout the rest of his life, really, Peter, uh, once he was filled with the Spirit, did an awesome job. Uh, tradition says he spent the last 10 years of his life in Rome and was martyred somewhere around 67 to 68 A.D. Now, John, all right, James, Peter wrote two books, and then John wrote three epistles or short letters. Uh, John and his brother James were known as the sons of thunder, kind of like Jackson Jamin. They were, they were quiet boys, real quiet, never got loud or yelled or anything like that. 
Sons of Thunder. I don't know how they got that name for them, but anyway, that's, that's what they were known as, the Sons of Thunder. And they were fishermen with Peter and Andrew. Um, he was one of the inner three, Peter, James, and John, that Jesus took aside and allowed to see things like the transfiguration on, on the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw a Jesus raise a little girl back to life. Uh, he was the first one. John was actually the first one to look inside the empty tomb. Remember, he and Peter ran together, and John probably was a little younger, and he got there before Peter, and uh, he, he glanced in and saw Jesus was not there. And then he also declared himself to be the disciple that Jesus loved. I love that. I think I would have said something like that. Hopefully all of you, if you wrote something, you'd, you'd say, yes, I'm the one that Jesus loved because he loves each of us. And then finally, the fourth author of, the, of one of these books is Jude. Uh, Jude also was the half-brother of Jesus. And in the listing in Matthew 13 that I read earlier, uh, Jude is listed as Judas, and so he was probably the youngest uh, brother in the family. And like his brother James, uh, he didn't believe in, that Christ was the Messiah or Jesus was the Messiah until after the resurrection. So collectively, these four individuals wrote seven epistles, letters, and, on, and though, although each, and by the way, the epistle just means a written message. That's all. When you hear the word epistle, it's just a written message or a letter. Uh, contains a lot about the gospel, and they contain a lot about how to live a godly life. But because I'm covering seven books in the same message, we can't go into everything that those were taught. But we're going to focus our attention around the theme of conquering and overcoming through Christ. And that's the theme that we'll look at here this morning. So let's jump in. And if you will, open up in your Bibles or your uh, phones to James. And I'll leave it up to you as to whether you want to try to follow along or whether you just want to look up on the screens, but at least turn to James. It's in the New Testament, all right? So you're going to go past First uh, and Second Corinthians and past Timothy and Titus and Hebrews. And right after Hebrews is the book of James, just so you kind of know where these books are at in your Bible. James, First and Second Peter, First, Second, Third John, and then Jude, which is right before Revelation, Okay. So if you want to try to follow along in, in the books, I'll just be going chronologically through each of them and, and within the books as well. So James helps, it deals with overcoming trials. That's what we're going to look at this morning, how to overcome obstacles in our life, how to conquer them, all right? Sometimes the same Greek word is, is translated both overcoming and conquering. So really, they kind of both mean the same thing, depending upon how you want to look at it. But James deals with overcoming trials. Anybody had a trial this week? A few of you? I mean, trials sometimes can be small, right? And sometimes they can be huge things. Sometimes they're just in your life for a short period of time. Other times, this trial goes on for a long time. But James helps us to deal with overcoming or conquering trials. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4 says, count it all joy. Count it all joy. That sounds like he's overcoming there. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, what is perfect and complete? It just means fully mature. 
If you look at these from God's perspective, these trials, and you consider them a joy because you know that those trials are a test for you, and when you sit under that test and you're willing to walk through that trial and that testing, it's going to make you more steadfast, more mature. You're going to be steadier. And then that will lead then to a growing maturity that you won't be lacking in anything that, that you need to be used by God. You can also see some of this same teaching in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5, if you want to jot that down. Romans 5, 3 to 5. So we're to count it all joy because in the long run it grows us up, all right? Uh, chap- and then James 1, 12, chapter 1, verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. See, when you're not, when you're not experiencing a trial, it's easy to be steadfast and, and sound and in place and, and not feel like you're being tossed about. But when you're in the middle of a trial, you know, if, if, if your mind isn't thinking correctly, if you're not dealing with it in a steadfast way, you can be tossed all, all off all offline. So if you remain steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So we overcome trials by believing God uses them to grow us up in Christ and that he will reward us in the life to come. Trials are good. They're good. Even like the song said, you know, even what the enemy means for evil, God turns, us, turns it for our good. Romans 8.28, kind of right before the, the passage that Jonah read. He causes all things to work together for good. And that's why you can be joyful in trials. That's why you can overcome and conquer those trials. God has a purpose in it. He wants to grow us up, conform us to the image of Christ, and there's great reward in the life to come for being able to, to withstand that and to walk through that trial. It's just like when, when you sometimes put things in your kid's life in order for them to grow and to mature. It may not be comfortable for them. It may not be easy. It might be hard. But you know it's for their ultimate good and for God's glory. And that's, that's part of what God does with us as well. That's, that's what I want you to see today, really. I mean, the bottom line of what I want you to come away with is in Christ to not see yourself as a victim that's just being tossed around by your enemies. No, you are a victor. You are more than a conqueror in Christ. And if you wake up each day, and, 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 and don't get all puffy in the chest over this, you're not a victor or a conqueror or overcomer in your own strength. It's only as you bow your head and your heart to the Lord and surrender to Him and to the Word of God and to believe and to trust and to walk through those things even when it's difficult. And that brings God great glory when you do that. All right, let's go to the book of First Peter. If you want to turn to First Peter, you can. You know what's amazing as you study the lives of these men and you look at their foibles and their weaknesses, and especially, you know, with, with Peter especially, and to see how God could use him to bring 3,000 souls to the Lord in one day or for him to write epistles like, like this that he's written. God changes people. Think of the Apostle Paul. 
He was killing Christians, those who followed the way. And then he was, he was martyred for his faith. God changed him completely, turned him all around. All right, Peter. In, in 1 Peter, uh, 1 Peter deals with overcoming suffering. It's sort of the same. Uh, James it was, deals with overcoming trials. Peter deals with overcoming suffering. And if you look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 and 19, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. And then verse 21 says, For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. When you're sorrowful because you're suffering, and perhaps even unjustly, just think of Christ. Was there anyone who suffered more unjustly than Christ? No. Christ was perfect. Loved all men. And he hung on a cross. And Jesus just said, by the way, if, they've, if, they've, if they won't listen to me, they're not going to listen to you. And if they kill me, just know that they might kill you as well. We're all going to suffer in this world. It's a fallen world with fallen people, and we're, we, have, we share that fallenness. 1 Peter 4, 12 to 14 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. In other words, don't be so surprised when things crop up in your life that are difficult to deal with. It might be something you brought on yourself or it might be something that just you're just suffering unjustly. But don't be surprised about it. God doesn't want us to be taken off guard. He doesn't want us to, to, to be thrown off balance and become less steady because of this. We can just keep walking through this. Um, let's see where to leave off at. Oh, let's go to, uh, yeah, First Peter 4. Uh, okay, next verse, yeah. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you also may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Just as Christ went to the cross because of the joy set before him, you can see joy beyond whatever trial or suffering you're going through at the time. All right? It says, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That's the promise. That's the hope that we can have. So then it gives us an admonition in verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Just like when Christ suffered, he continued to do good. He was suffering, but he got, he, he got on the cross. And so as we are suffering, sometimes when we're, when we're hurt and we're suffering, we tend to pull back. I mean, just like when you touch some, a hot stove or something, you, you pull back. And so when we're hurt in some way, we're going through some suffering, we want to just pull away from, from the, the person or the situation that's causing the suffering. 
but we can't really, and it may be wise to pull away. Yes, I'm not saying that, but we can't just stop living life. When we're, we can't just say, well, when, I, when I'm done suffering, I'll start serving again. Mm-mm. You're never going to be done suffering in this life. That's just, that's just part of living in the fallen. Why do you think the, uh, John says in Revelation, come quickly, Lord Jesus, when he sees all the devastation that's going to happen you know, during the tribulationary time, the end days? He says, Jesus said, I'm coming quickly. He says, yes, come quickly, Lord Jesus. It's, it's a tough world, you know. It is. But we have to keep doing good because that's what Jesus did, and we're to follow his example. And then finally in 1 Peter 5, he says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. What should we do? Well, resist him. Firm in your faith. Be firm in your faith in Christ. Uh, Be firm in the fact that as Christ conquered, you can conquer. Resist him knowing that the same kinds of sufferings or suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. It's not just you suffering. People around the world, especially in, in countries that, that you know, really don't even want to have Christians in them, I mean, they're suffering a lot more than we suffer. And that should just, when we suffer, it should just be a reminder for us to pray for them and perhaps even you know, do something about it. Then it says, after you've suffered a little while. And you know what's great about God and his eternal perspective? When he looks at our life here, our 70 or 80, 90 years, whatever it might contain, in his mind, it's always just a little portion of time. Even if you suffer your whole life, you have some debilitating disease that, yes, you live to be 90, but you can't walk or you can't hear or you can't see. That that's considered a little suffering from God's perspective. But after you've done that, then it says the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ. How long is the glory? Eternal. How long is the suffering? A little bit. If you really want to conquer, if you really want to overcome trials, testings, sufferings, You've got to have that approach. You've got to have a biblical, heavenly mindset. If not, then your trials and your sufferings will just weigh you down and take you out of the game in terms of getting up and doing good and rejoicing and all those things. It's not a Pollyanna type of thing that I'm just going to think positive things and everything's going to go well. No. It's recognizing that whatever happens in this world if I'm a committed believer and following Christ and continuing to do all the good I can despite my suffering, whatever it might be, that God is glorified and he will share that glory with me forever. That's the hope. That's the motivation. That's what helps us to get through and to remain steadfast. And Christ says that he himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And that's why the writer says, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we overcome suffering by remembering Christ's sufferings and the suffering of others. And that suffering leads to eternal glory in Christ. Now, just to mention to you, and I want to thank David Moore for making me aware of this, but 
Some of you might be aware of an organization called Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, they have a, a magazine they send out, and uh, they just kind of keep us up to speed in terms of what's happening, happening around the world. They're going to have a conference at LifePoint Church, which is up in Franklin Township, about 20 minutes from here. It's on Saturday, July the 13th, from 9 to 4. There's no cost, but I believe you have to register, uh, and you probably do that online. So just get on LifePoint Church. I'm sure they'll have the conference there, and uh, I'm going to try to make that if I can. But that that would just open your eyes to the types of persecutions and sufferings that are going on and will give you avenues to pray and perhaps even avenues to financially support people who work to, to free and to uh, help those that might be suffering around the world. So, David, thank you for that. Let's go to the book of Second Peter. Second Peter deals with overcoming unrighteousness. So, so far, overcoming trials, overcoming suffering. Second Peter talks with overcoming unrighteousness. And Second Peter 2, 4-9 says this, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, moving on a little bit, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment." There's a reckoning. There is a day of judgment and a day of reward. In the meantime, God knows how to preserve those of us that seek him and claim his righteousness. He preserved Noah. Noah was a blameless man. The, the word says he was a blameless man in his time. He preserved Lot. Lot wasn't a perfect person, but Lot had faith, and he, he rescued righteous Lot from the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the unrighteous will be punished. And then 2 Peter 3.13 gives us a great hope. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Someday, when, the, when God brings about the new heaven and the new earth, there will not be unrighteousness then only righteousness, and we can look forward to that day. And then here's a little, bit of, a little bit of instruction for us in chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, that there is a day of reckoning, that you will be preserved, you will be rescued, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people. In other words, don't allow unrighteousness and unrighteous people affect you. Because if you do, it says you might lose your own stability. Lawless people, unrighteous people are unstable in all their ways, in their thinking and how they speak and how they act. And if you allow yourself to get carried away with that unrighteousness, then, then you'll, you, your life will be tossed. You won't, you won't be stable. And God wants us to have a sound mind, to be stable. 
But then it says, instead of that, it says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So how do we overcome unrighteousness? We overcome unrighteousness by growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. We overcome unrighteousness by growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. In other words, by embracing his righteousness in us and continuing to grow. When that's your focus, then first of all, you'll understand what is righteous and what is unrighteous. You'll be able to to separate truth from error and be able to cling to truth and follow that and not, not be overcome and tempted by unrighteousness. And by the way, you know, if we got down and spent a lot of time on this and started talking about application of this, one of the things that we have to be very careful of at this point in our culture and in the day in which we live is just all the different avenues that we can see and hear and sense unrighteousness in our world. I mean, I remember as a kid growing up, you know, on a farm, having our first little TV it was about this big and black and white, and it, was, it hurts your eyes to even try to watch it. And mostly being surrounded by extended family and a church family and, you know, teachers in my elementary school that most of them were probably believers. I mean, I experienced a lot of wholesomeness, godliness, righteousness with the people that were around me. I mean, like I said, TV wasn't much. I mean, I wasn't on a phone and, you know, all those kinds of things. So I'm, I'm just saying we have to be, we, we can't avoid the world. We need to be in the world, but not of the world. So just, just think of that. And, and, and not just for kids, but for adults. I mean, as a man thinks, so he is. So we just have to be careful about what's going in and what's, what's impacting the way we think, all right? So let's move on to John, all right? First John, I'll go a little more quickly here. First John deals with overcoming the world. All right, overcoming the world. Uh, in 1 John 2, he says, don't love the world. You know why? The world's passing away. All right? Yeah, but he says, whoever does the will of God abides forever. I'm just going to paraphrase a few of these. So we need to overcome the world because it's, it's gone. But if we do the will of God, we'll abide forever. And then 1 John 4, he says, don't believe every spirit. There's a lot of false prophets out there in the world, Okay? talks about the spirit of the Antichrist that's already here. Uh, So he says then at the end of that passage, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. You've overcome these false prophets, these these spirits that are not, not the Holy Spirit. You have overcome them, for he who is in you, the Holy Spirit, if you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That's a great promise to know. 1 John 4, 4. I mean, you should know that verse. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And so since the Holy Spirit is greater than Satan, greater than evil, greater than the world system in which we live, the fallenness of it, we can overcome it because we have a greater power within us than any power in the world. All right? And then 1 John 5 then gives us a little heads up in in terms of how to have that overcoming attitude. 
For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. How do you overcome the world? Faith, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Our faith in Christ gives us the victory. That's how we overcome the world. So we overcome the world by putting our faith in Christ and kissing the world goodbye. And that's an everyday thing. Kicking it out, taking Jesus in. All right, Second John deals with overcoming deception. So we're going to skip these verses, but just talks about deceivers and the Antichrist. They're out there. Uh, not to be a part of that. Don't share. Don't give a blessing or a greeting or share a meal with anybody that, that is a deceiver or uh, not walking according to Scripture. And so we overcome deception by clinging to truth and rejecting false teaching. That is why it is important to know this book. We've got to know this book. This is truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and so God's word is truth. The more we know this book, the more we can embrace it, the more we can love it, and the more we'll reject anything that's not of this book. I once heard somebody say that the the more uh, we know, the, what does it say? The more we read our Bible, the less we'll sin. Uh, the oh, somebody help me out. <laughs> I can't remember how it goes, but anyway, if you're in the Bible, you sin less. If you're not in the Bible, you sin more. So they they impact one another. Forgive me for not remembering that. Uh, okay, let's go to Third John. Third John deals with overcoming evil. Just one verse here. For third John, verse 11 and 12. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does, not, whoever does evil has not seen God. So we overcome evil by imitating God's goodness. So we need to remember God's goodness to us on a regular basis. If I overcome evil by focusing on God's goodness, then I need to renew my mind in the truth of God's goodness. How do you do that? How do you renew your mind or let it soak in all over you again how good God is? Well, by reading about his goodness in Scripture, right? By asking the Holy Spirit to reveal God's goodness to you in life in general. I mean, I I thank God for beautiful days and flowers and trees and birds and grandkids and the body of Christ waking up every morning having food to eat a roof over my head I mean I know these are all common things that most of us in America would say well we have those things but not necessarily and especially people around the world don't have those things but most of all I remember God's goodness in Christ I remember the gospel that Christ was willing to overcome trials, sufferings, death itself, so that we could live. So whether all those other things are true, if nothing else good is happening, you can remember that eternal goodness of God in the cross and the promise that Jesus is coming back and the promise that when we die, our spirit will go and be with him and that he'll give us a new resurrection body someday. Those are all true, and it's all because God's good, and 
It's for our, he's always working for our good and his, his glory. So the last book, Jude, the other half-brother of Jesus, talks about overcoming ungodliness. And, um, well, I mean, to be honest, sometimes we behave ungodly. We can think things, say things, do things that would not, is not what Jesus would do, doesn't reflect the truth of Scripture. But we live in an ungodly world, and uh, only the goodness and grace of God in us and through us can overcome that ungodliness, all right? So, for, for, for lack of time, I'll not share. I'll, I'll give you these verses. Let me just read one. Um, I'll read Jude 14 through 16. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So we overcome ungodliness by, first of all, recognizing its end. Where does ungodliness lead to? Judgment. And we embrace the mercy of, of Christ that leads to eternal life. The only reason we're spared from the end of ungodliness and judgment is because of Christ. And so we think about the mercy, the love and the mercy and the grace that we've received that leads to eternal life. And that's how we overcome ungodliness. So in closing, let me give you a little bit of motivation from the book of Revelation. If you want to turn to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 2, let me close with these thoughts. Here's just some motivation to become an overcomer and a conqueror, okay? See the blessings of doing that. Look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. To the one who conquers, I'll grant to eat of the tree of life. In other words, eternal life in heaven. Go to verse 11, chapter 2 in Revelation, verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Holy Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. That's the lake of fire. That is the second death. Go to verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who, over, to the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Go to verse 26 in chapter, 20, in chapter 2. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Go to chapter 3, verse 5. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. And then go to chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. 
the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven. And my own new name, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then finally in verse 21 and 22. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Would you agree in the life to come that it's good to share the blessings of being one who conquers and overcomes? But how do we do it? I mean, you listen to that and you think, wow, that's glorious. Well, go to chapter 12. Here's how we do it. Here's how we overcome. Chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. By the way, I'll be preaching through Revelation the next two messages in July and August, so if you want to start reading through that a couple times, that would be good. Chapter 12, verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, that's Satan, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. How do we become a conqueror? How do we become an overcomer? By the blood of the Lamb, by the blood of Christ, and by our testimony, in other words, our sold-out faith in Him, whether it means physical death or just dying to ourselves on a daily basis. That's how you become a conqueror and an overcomer through the blood of Christ and trusting Him no matter what life brings, brings you, that you can do it in His name. Now, I want to go back to Romans, and I'm going to end with this then. Go back to Romans chapter 8. Because I know this is not one of the seven books, but really this summarizes kind of what I want you to hear from this message today and from these seven books that talk about this theme of overcoming and conquering. So go to Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Romans eight thirty-one. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What trial Suffering, ungodliness, evil, deception, unrighteousness. How can those things even impact us if God is for us? Who can be against us? Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who indeed is interceding for us. Right now, at this moment, Christ is interceding before us, before the throne. So even if the enemy is accusing us, Christ says, covered by my blood, justified, not guilty, saved. Satan, be gone. By the way, that's not Scripture. That was just a little interpretation. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, 
persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? Go to verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ, you are more than a conqueror. You're not a victim to these enemies. You're victors through him who loved us.